welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome adventurers to episode 51 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We've got a special side quest today. My name's Patrick. My name is Josh. Wait a minute. That's not King Scott, Josh. You wanted to join me for a side quest because you had a game that you were eyeing up and you said, Pat, we have got to do this one. What was that game? Feuds and Favors. I played it recently and it kind of gave me the feeling of something that you guys might want to talk about here on a side quest. So I reached out to you and see if we could maybe arrange a time with the designer to play it. But I was surprised with your response. Josh, I've already played it with the designer and I love it. (laughs) We're kind of putting the uh, cart ahead of the horse adventures. As you know, whenever we do a side quest, it's typically because it's a game that we truly believe in. and We want to see this thing get funded. We don't do this for every game that we preview or review. It's strictly something that stands out and fused and favors did not just for us, but for Josh. You know, Josh, from the Lost Loot segment, Josh, you're always play testing a bunch of games. I assume you came across this just in testing other people's games and whatnot. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened. I still play test more games than I actually play published games. That's my life. So uh, I was looking for other designers to swap play tests with because you know that's one of the most effective ways to actually play test, in my opinion, is to have other designers look at your games. And I reached out to the designer of this game, which I'm sure we'll get to farther into the side quest. But we decided to swap some play tests. I had some small little abstracts. I asked him to test for me and in return he had a card game that he was putting on kickstarter soon and so i gladly reached out to him and i was very impressed with the design i am a huge fan of small card games Mm -hmm. they're like my bread and butter because you know i don't have a lot of time to play games in the evenings when i get home from work and this game kind of hit me in the sweet spot and i'm sure we'll talk about more why that is later but i don't recommend side quests too often to you guys as i know you're busy of a lot of games to talk about but this, this is one only really the second one. First one was Megapulse, and Megapulse yeah. was a standout. Smash it on Kickstarter. I'm waiting for my copy, hopefully sometime before the end of the year. This is only the second time you've done this, so that that holds some pedigree. Yeah, because I, I mean, I've play tested about at this point maybe 30 games that have come on Kickstarter mm-hmm. that, I, that I've just passively either play tested with a designer or just on my own, and I'm very careful because I don't want to be an annoying. <laughs> annoying thorn in your guys' side when it comes to recommending <laughs> games. So I'm very particular about the games I choose. And I thought this one had something for me, I want to keep playing. And that's the first impulse is like, if I want to keep playing this or I want to play it with Patrick or Scott, that's the indication like, okay, I need to reach out to them and see if they're interested in doing this. And it worked out this time. I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll do a quick walkthrough, and then you and I will highlight some of the things of the game. We did this last side quest. Normally, do our full 8-bit breakdown. We're going to do sort of a 4-bit breakdown or, or something, the Atari version of a breakdown. We'll talk the a bit about the game. Breakdown. Yeah, yeah. i tell you what we'll do, though. Uh, before we get to that, I understand you recently won an award for one of your prototypes. little side note. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, so every year there is a there's a couple contests that go on each year. Actually, a lot of them for designers, especially amateur designers, to kind of put their designs out there and get feedback and constructive criticism about their game designing. One of the more popular ones is called the Cardboard Edison Award. 
people can submit their games. Usually it's amateur designers, or sometimes mm-hmm. there's even, you know, professional designers submit their games to be reviewed by a group of judges who are hand selected by Cardboard Edison to um, review them and, you know, pick some finalists. And these finalists are then sent through a playtesting phase through a bunch of other publishers like Renegade Games is the big one I know of. And sometimes some other publishers will jump in and they will also get feedback. And then a winner is selected from this group of games and that game usually gets published. Uh, one of the ones that's most significant in my mind that's won last year, not last year, it was a couple years ago, but um, I talked about on Lawsuit was The Blood of an Englishman mm-hmm. um, by Dan Kazar. That won the very first Carbidison Award and that was published. And I have a game called Uinta that I have been working on for a couple of years now. You're going to have to spell that for us. <laughs> Uinta. U-I-N-T-A. Uinta. It's a game I've been working for a couple of years now. You actually play tested that at PAX. Sure did. And it's gone through a lot of iterations since then. It's now a one to four player game instead of just two players. Okay. Uh, I, I submitted it mainly for the feedback because I didn't think it was going to get anywhere. But lo and behold, I got an email and it's a finalist. Among hey. a, uh, yeah, among a 238 submissions and there's about 20 games that were selected to be finalists. So right now I'm in kind of overdrive mode trying to uh, get this thing ready to present and hopefully maybe some good will come of it. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because I'm excited about it. Well, congrats. Yeah, you should be. That is, that's very, very respectable. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> You're bringing credibility to the show, Josh. I like it. <laughs> Okay, how about we do a walkthrough and we'll get on with our talk about feuds and favors. You ready? I follow you, sir. Designed by Brad Hiscock and live on Kickstarter March 15th, Feuds and Favors is a medieval-themed turn-based strategy card game for two to four players. The winner of the game is the first player to collect seven trophies. At the start of the game, each player is given an identical deck of soldier recruit cards. Three of these cards are drawn face up and put into your play area to make up your vanguard. A deck of additional recruits, a deck of nobles, and a deck consisting of double-sided cards showing a trophy on one side and favor on the other are all set up in the middle of the table. Each player draws three recruits and a noble to make up their starting hand, and you're ready to play. A turn is quite simple in Feuds and Favors. To start, you'll have the option of discarding cards from your hand to draw new ones. Then you can swap one of your vanguards in play for one in your hand, or draw a noble card. Third, you have the option of combat, or simply collecting a couple of favor tokens. And finally, at the end of your turn, you get to put those favor tokens to work, either discarding two of them to draw a pair of nobles, or discarding four for a trophy. The combat in the game is very simple, but to understand it, let's outline a vanguard card. Each one has a type, like swordsman, lancer, etc., as well as combat value and a crest. When you engage in combat, you choose one vanguard to be the primary attacker and another to be the support. You pick out which of your opponent's vanguards you're engaging with. Your opponent picks a support card from their other two available, and then you simply add up the numbers of the main vanguard and the support that are in the fight. Highest total wins. There are bonuses for having both cards be of the same type, like they're both archers or they're both swordsmen, or having the crest symbol match on your forward card and support. For winning an engagement, the attacker gains a trophy. The combat results might also provide players with favor or new vanguard recruits from the top of the deck, but honestly, that's basically it. Now here's where this simple rule set gets exciting. The Nobles deck provides players with very powerful abilities that can drastically alter the expectations in combat. Some of the Nobles cancel other effects, while others kill an additional vanguard when winning a battle. The point to drive home here is that the Nobles are what takes the game from overly simple 
to rich and engaging. So what did we think about this one? Well, let's get back to Josh and chat a bit about this side quest preview game, Feuds and Favors. Josh, let's uh, give this, like I said, the mini breakdown. Let's start with uh, art and components, because I have a bit to say. What do you got? Art and components of Feuds and Favors. So when I was playing it, he said it wasn't the final version, the designer. And it, when I was just playing it on Tabletop Simulator, it was just a bunch of cards. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I like games that are very simple in there. Because, you know, I much as I love a big old component drop game, you know, some maybe like Origins, like you guys have talked about recently, or Corrosion. I like my games to be a low component. I think there is simplicity and beauty in restrictions like that. So it's just cards, from what I can remember. And the artwork, I enjoy. It's nothing to be blown away by, in my opinion. Um, it has very well-done, clean artwork. It's a medieval-themed. The artwork does a good job in trying to convey the theme the game is trying to convey, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of an intrigue. You're sending your warriors out to battle, but also there's some sort of small political aspect. A little politicking going on, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. It's a little bit of Game of thrones type stuff. Sure. But, you know, I didn't think there was anything to go home about. But, you know, it's enjoyable. It doesn't distract from it. It's just a nice little thing that adds to the enjoyment of the game for me. You know what? I thought that the theme being medieval, normally I look at like medieval fantasy or, or in this case, not necessarily fantasy. And I go, nah, okay, we've seen that a billion times. This is a game that doesn't draw you in with the theme. It's a game that draws you in with the gameplay. And the theme at that point, it could have been it could have been ants battling over ant hills. I don't care oh. at that point because the meat of the game, well, we'll get to the meat of the game, but it comes from the actual play. I am, however, going to disagree with you on one thing. I thought the art was fabulous. Now, we we come into this. Art is subjective, so both yeah. opinions are valid, but man, oh man, I couldn't get over like the queen. The queen art looked like a photo. I thought it was phenomenal. Absolutely stunning artwork. And he's talking about the various upgrades that he can do to the art with like inlays and whatnot. I was just like, wow, this is going to have some really nice looking cards. Again, subjective. It's art. You probably actually got more of a sneak peek than I did behind it. Because when I was playing, he had no idea I was part of the podcast. Because when I was was talking with him, I was – because, you know, we we still talk because we still play trade. We're still in the process of trading play tests and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey – um. You are you trying to get this on podcast? Yada yada. And he's like, yeah. Well, I'm part of a podcast. I do a segment for this really good podcast. Oh, well, um, thank you. I, oh yeah, well, yeah. yeah fair to Midland. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was like, yeah, it's level up. And I send the link. And he's like, oh, I've already played with Patrick. I'm like, well, gosh, dang it. <laughs> so you probably know a lot more insights than I do because I was just a play tester. <laughs> but um, yeah, art is subjective. You know, I'm I'm very much more like photorealistic art doesn't resonate with me much. I'm impressed by it. But like I'm more of like you know I, I think my favorite board game art for instance is like Tidal Blades. If it was more like that kind of fantastical style, I might be drawn into it. But either way, the art is well done and it'll speak to some people. Yeah, different tastes here, and I think we've given the adventurers an idea of what the art is all about. It's really odd trying to convey the art of a game through <laughs> the the spoken word. Let's move yes. on to the theme. We kind of brushed on. We've got medieval realistic. It's not fantasy. You know what it reminded me of? The Renaissance Festival. Yeah, Scott's going to love this game because every one of these things, you know, from the Siege Engine to the Joker, they all came right out of the Renaissance Festival. It was a game you could be like, I know Scott takes games too. When he does King Scott stuff, he does Renaissance festivals. He's talked about playing games. 
I could see him bringing this one. It's maybe a little more complex, but it fits right in with that kind of environment. I agree totally. And maybe a little bit more complex. Let's do complexity. Again, not an official 8-bit breakdown, but I feel like people want to know the complexity. Did you find this one difficult to learn, difficult to play? To ma- Neither of us have mastered the game, but what do you think about the complexity of Feuds and Favors? Very easy to learn. He's done a good job laying out how the gameplay flows, but the complexity comes in very well-designed and very polished card play. Either... Someone has to be very familiar with the genre it's in, which is kind of a area majority card combat game, or they have played the game many times. Mm-hmm. Low ceiling of entry, but high ceiling of understanding and mastery, in my opinion. Agreed. Agreed. And that, that low ceiling of entry comes from the fact that, honestly, the the central mechanic of your armies fighting each other, your, your soldiers fighting each other, it's basically a modified version of war. You know, we each have three cards, pick one, slide it forward, pick one of theirs that you're fighting. You have one in support and you just add up the numbers. There are little modifiers, sure, but that's the central mechanic. That's easy. To your point, the depth of the game, getting good at it is understanding that nobles deck, understanding what cards they might have to respond to your cards. Playing it the first time, it's like you're going to get caught by surprise like, oh, wait, he had the counterspell card. Basically, uh, there's essentially a counterspell. There are cards that will interact with each other. Playing it the third time, it's kind of like when you're playing Magic the Gathering and you're up against someone playing blue. I maybe should play this card to bait the counterspell so that when I play this card, they can't counter it. You know what I mean? You, you start going to that next level, that that meta of strategy. And I thought Fuse and Favors had that. That, to me, was the meat of the game. Where'd you find the meat of the game? When when this game is putting your brain to the test, what's doing it? Well, that was it. It was the Nobles deck. Um, mm-hmm. I played a very different game. The designer told me that I played a very different game than any other person who's played it. Because most people, when they get into this game, they understand immediately the special powers and some of the, some of the slight asymmetry in the game comes from that Nobles deck. Mm-hmm. I chose very beginning to completely ignore that. I played the game thoroughly with that war mechanic, the card play. And I only realized that because I knew I'm that I'm, I'm really bad at war. I know war is all luck. But I don't think I've ever won a single game of war in my life. I was going to say, and you so, can't be bad at war. You could just be unlucky. <laughs> oh, I can be bad at war. I am bad at war. <laughs> like I, I, so I, I always win at like push your luck games like zombie dice. But every time I play war, I've never won a single game. But moving on to like the car play, as I was playing it, I knew I, he was, this is the designer. I go into a game knowing I'm trying to win. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way to play test a game. And I knew I wasn't going to be the card play of the designer. And so what I chose to do is to use a strategy where if you lose a lot, you can gain something called favor. It's a card yep. that, that it's kind of like a small currency system that you can use to get more nobles or gain victory points. And I used that system to actually just farm victory points. So I would lose on purpose and play certain cards that would gain me more favor. And eventually, I would wait for my hand to have nobles in there, and I would never use them. I would choose not to use my nobles. Instead, hold on to them and wait for a time I can get more favor. At the very end, I pulled one card that I knew I could use to gain the last bit of victory points I needed. Mm-hmm. I played my hand. I played the war hand out. I won that hand, but then he had a card to put him over the edge, and I immediately threw that. I think it was the princess down to stop everything, and I won the game. And I think I probably only won about 90%. I think I lost 90% of the actual war that was going on. I so, didn't think that that would even be possible. 
right? That's it, phenomenal. It, it works. So the meat of the game comes from knowing when to play your nobles and when to hold back on them. And that is what makes it, I think, a really elegant and smooth game. Obviously, this being in a side quest means we both thought it was fun. What makes it fun, Josh? I like how there's multiple strategies. Um, any game that can provide multiple strategies that are equally valid is a good game, in my opinion. Like I said, in my game, I took a strategy that no one has done, and I won. Mm-hmm. It was close. I was losing most of the time, but in the end, I won. And so you think really... you're better than everyone. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe. that's to be. I, I guess that's to be found out. But, you know, I was I was losing pretty much the entire time until that very last moment when I got that card I needed to actually win, and it turned out well for me. And any game that can present multiple modes of play paths to actually become a winning strategy is a good game because mm-hmm. it, it just you know it's not a game you find the path to win at and you just try mm-hmm. to follow it the fastest. It's like okay, well I'm going this direction and I might still have a chance of winning this. For me, I think what made Feuds and Favors stand out you know as a fun factor. What made this game fun for me was genuinely the noble stack and the card play therein. Feuds and Favors doesn't pull any punches. And I'm not saying that it's a game that causes grief in any way. It doesn't. What I am saying is that it allows you to start thinking, okay, I know that he knows that I know. You know, you go down that Princess Bride path with the card play in the Noble deck. Okay, I can play this now. But if he has that card, he's going to trump me here. So maybe I'll wait, hold off on this, play that one, draw out the the cap. That, oh, I could get back into that over and over. And I'm really glad to find that he's got a mini expansion with this Kickstarter that adds a couple more nobles to that deck. I thought that was a great decision. To me, that's the fun factor in this game is taking a very simple mechanic like war, embellishing on it a little bit by having three different cards and an order of what you're choosing, embellishing on it further by having a compensation, some extra favor for having lost a fight, and then putting it over the top with the noble stack and being able to interact with each other directly to affect the outcome of those battles. Absolutely love that. Well, Josh, we don't want to spoil too much because we have Brad with us today. He's going to break down everything and anything you might want to know about the game. You want to take it over to Brad? All the way from Canada. You know, this is the second time I've done this with a Canadian designer. Running low on supplies during your adventures? Don't want to shell out too much coin to gear up? Level Up's got your back. We've teamed up with Tabletop Tycoon to get listeners of the show 10% off a couple of the biggest titles they carry. First up, Nemo's War. You've heard our thoughts on this one. A grand strategy game jam-packed with meaty decisions. And the theme here, oh, I tell you what, it tells a story every time you play. Plus, Everdell, an early review here at Level Up and a personal favorite for both of us. If you don't have it, you've got to get in on it. Look, not many games get multiple expansions after they release, only the best. And Everdell, it's one of them. The perk, just for you, is 10% off Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition just by using promo code LEVELUP2022. You can visit their website at tabletoptycoon.com or click the link on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Add any of these gems to your cart, that's Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition, and use promo code LEVELUP2022, all caps, no spaces, for 10% off. Get these games on the table and level up. All right, adventurers, I'm here today with Brad Hiscock. How are you today, Brad? I'm great. How are you? 
Oh, not bad, not bad. Now we have Feuds and Favors live on Kickstarter by the time this airs. I think it's going to be today. So if you're listening, check this out on Kickstarter. We've got Brad and we're going to grill him. You ready for this, Brad? I sure am. <laughs> Good old fashioned grilling. Let me uh, let me get the ceiling light and, and put it over you and turn it up a little bit. It's going to get hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, let's start here. We always like to find out a little bit of the background of a designer, namely in the gaming atmosphere. What's your gaming background? I assume you grew up playing some of the traditional games. Uh, what are you playing now? Tell us about you as a gamer. Okay, you you were spot on there about uh, traditionally speaking. I, I grew up with most of the classics, so to speak. The Monopoly, the Clue, the Sorry, all of that sort of thing. It quickly evolved into many other things from Magic the Gathering and D&D, that kind of a a Mm -hmm. thing. And I kind of went further away from the boxed board game and into that realm. But I'd say the last decade or so, I've really been crunching down on those small to large box games. And I've probably played four or five hundred unique titles. So I've uh, definitely been uh, punching it out. I've seen a lot of those challenges like play one a week or things like that. I'm like, I I should have been in on that. I've been doing that for years. Did you play Magic competitively or casually? A little bit of both. Mostly Did you ever top eight a Pro Tour qualifier? Oh, no, I did not. Brad, what's what's your favorite Magic card? Oh, God. My favorite yeah. magic card, an old one. It is not even a great one, but just the Rambling Strider. When I was first into it, I think that was back in the Ice Age series, maybe. You're, um, you're going way back. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that image was was just one that, that stuck with me, and I, I just really liked that. So what kind of board games you play now? I understand that you do a lot of testing other designers' games. Tell us a little bit about why or how you came into that realm of the hobby. Well, I I guess I really discovered the online portion of that. And recently when I was trying to spread out my own wings there a couple of years ago, as that came to light and I found out that was an entire thing that I was just missing out on, you know, originally I thought it was only published games and that was all that was out there. And then I found this entire new world of playtesting that I jumped in on and exchanged my own with others. And it kind of started from there. But then, you know, I really found a huge interest in these games, then kind of spread out and wasn't even doing swaps. I was just seeking out other other games on the go to kind of get in on them from the ground floor. And I really like the designing process to be able to get in and help other people finish and refine their product just really felt good. It probably helps seeing other people's progression on their games. It probably helps you to refine your own game, like to to see what kind of modifications they're making or what kind of questions they're asking you as a play tester. That probably gives you some kind of insight as to now that you're in the designer chair, how do you go about it? Do you feel like that that helped you along the ways? Any big tips? For sure. One of the biggest things, like early on, thankfully, was the post-game survey. Mm -hmm. Like before, it was just like, did you enjoy yourself? And then like, you know, that was kind of it. That's the only thing I did. But I played a couple of uh, playtests for some bigger publishers and uh, they had like full questionnaires and like, what was your favorite experience during the game? What was your favorite part? Your least favorite part? What would you change? Did you feel like you had enough agency in the game? You know, like depending on 
what it was, you know, if it was like a pressure lock game, did, was it like you, did you feel you had the ability to go as far as you wanted? And like, I, I really liked those direct questions and it helped me ask the right questions of my own audience and mm-hmm. therefore find wrinkles that I never knew existed. So without say that example, I, I wouldn't have found things that weren't really connecting with other people and wouldn't have been able to change them. So for adventurers who don't know, uh, part of the design process and part of what Brad has done over the last uh, I would uh, several, several months and, and years, as far as I understand, we'll get there. Part of the design process is as you get people to test your games, you ask them questions, you give them a questionnaire, something that they can fill out, much like you're saying. And that's a, that's a big process in refining the game. I got to see feuds and favors in what I believe is basically the final form ready to, unless you're going to make monumental changes in the next week. (laughs) I think we've probably got the final form of the game. What kind of changes did it have to go through to get to this point? Oh my, that's a loaded one. It's probably had 10 or 12 major additions that were kind of had drastic changes from the previous editions. Uh, well, bullet points with date and time. I want to hear every single one of them. <laughs> I, I do have quite a, <laughs> quite a file cabinet of okay. notes. I take it back. I, yes, I'm a note taker, so I'm ready for that. I guess some of the biggest changes were all wrapped around simplifying it and making it kind of fit into the genre and the experience that we were going for. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're giving it out as a 30 to 60 minute game, it's a strategy card game. You got to make it true to that. We had one edition, say, early on that was extremely compounded mechanics on top of each other and on top of each other. And there was so many different card decks and ways to interact with them. The the options were just 20 to 22, I think, different options that you could choose from Mm -hmm. on your turn. And I mean, like, that's just way too much. It, It was something I would see in some of the larger heavy games that I'm also into, but it is not true to a 30 to 60 minute playtime. That is a, a very large thing we had to focus on. And uh, we, we did get there, thankfully. But the, the changes that went through are drastic and many. So it's hard to pinpoint one. But streamlined turn overview is, is probably one of our most improved. They say that whenever a designer's creating a game, there's a couple of different ways to do it. You can be sort of the the sculptor or the builder. And I've heard it as the builder is someone who starts with a very, very simple game, uh, tic-tac-toe, and then adds a mechanism to the game and then adds a turn phase and just keeps adding to it, much like a builder would do when building something. Whereas a sculptor starts with, I want to throw all the ideas in the pot, well, or onto the slate and then start chipping things away. It sounds like this went more through that phase where you had to remove some of the things to lessen the complexity a little bit, make it a little bit more approachable for that 30 to 60 minute game, the target audience that you're shooting for here. I, I feel like I went through a bit of both in this particular game, probably because the the original idea was rediscovered. I, I had drafted something up and kind of shelved it for a long time. And I rediscovered it about 10 years later, two or three years ago, and kind of decided to go like revisit it and change it to what it is now. But at the start, I believe there was that little build phase and it was like a little, little map here. I'm going to go out. I'm going to make this little tree house. It was going to be great. You know, everybody's going to have fun. 
And then I went to the hardware store and picked up their entire stock. <laughs> and then I just <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> dropped it down. So um, maybe I attempted to do the build phase and then definitely ended up being a sculptor. But I think that a lot of games end there eventually. Like you can definitely start with, okay, I want to build around bag collection. That's your main mechanic piece you want to use, say like quacks, for example. And then you you build around that and you just add a couple of little things and, and there it is. I feel like at some point you try a bunch of stuff and it just don't work out. Very few people successfully do this, but all the greats definitely do. It's a hard lesson I learned is one thing at a time, like just change one little thing if you're going to tinker with the game. Because if you change like five and six things at a time, you don't know what made it overcomplicated, what made it work, what didn't make it work. So or if it was everything together, sure. Yeah. Sure. Like, and, are you going to narrow it down? Exactly. And you don't know, okay, well, if that did work, did all of it work or were two of the things great? And the other four are kind of just piggybacking on those. There's definitely a, a fine line. So I'm agreeing with your initial statement. I would probably categorize myself as a sculptor. Let me ask you this. In the feedback that you got after playing a game, I always like I went to PAX and got the chance to play in the uh, in the prototype room where you get to play test uh, prototypes and people's uh, you know, upcoming games and whatnot. The, the, unpub, the unpublished games, right? Yes. And they're always asking, you know, okay, what did you like? What didn't you like? And it's kind of weird because you're face to face with these individuals. Did you ever get just some feedback that stuck right in your heart? Like, did anybody ever just run you through the ringer? Like, oh, this was awful. <laughs> I, I, I got to know because it would be like a worst fear of mine if I ever put my baby out there. Yes. I mean, it's the same no matter <laughs> what. If you have, uh, you know, a room of 100 people someone's going to yell loud in that in that room. If you leave them in there long enough, someone will start <laughs> oh. screaming because they need to be loud. But that's fine. They're welcome to. We've had, I'd say a little over now, but I didn't count any of the early editions or in-house testing because I just wasn't keeping track at that point. I was more doing notes. But since I've got to the serious stage of this, this particular edition, we were probably looking at about 310 separate play tests at oh 310 God. there so like it it was play tested a lot mm -hmm. um, but out of that in this segment of group i had two people that absolutely shot it down <laughs> not one thing they liked about it not a thing didn't like the look of it didn't like the sound of it didn't like the just didn't even like cards they didn't even <laughs> like the table they were sitting at and i was like I would love to improve. And like, they were just like, no, no, we're to improve. You just, just give it up, put it away. They just did not like it. They hated you. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah. And then, you know, I was like, thanks. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate your feedback. I, I guess you sure. can rest easy knowing that it's two out of 310. We're less than 1%. That's not so bad. I just, oh man, I couldn't, I can't imagine like reading through notes and somebody's uh, notes would just, just destroy me. I, I, I'd like shiver in bed that night. 
<laughs> yeah, one of the two, uh, you know, I, I just, it's the internet. You're going to get them. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the two, I was just like, is there any spot that you think that I could improve at the delivery of this or the game in general? And he was like, you can actually stop making games and just quit. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can, I could do that for you. No problem, random person. <laughs> All right, adventures. That's Brad. Back to Kickstarter. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut the interview Excellent. There. I think we nailed it. So, Brad, let's rewind a little bit back to before you decided to take this on and really uh, push it and get this get this ball rolling. So, you're playing games. I understand there was some sort of an incident involving a fortune cookie. Tell me this story. I want to I want to know more about this fortune cookie. <laughs> did Did I tell you this story, or was this a story you heard on a different podcast? Brad, I, I do my research. Oh, no. If you look uh, outside your window, uh, I'm actually peeking in there right now. Hey. Oh, well, the door's open, you know. <laughs> I, I don't lock it, so it's cold out there. You can just come on in. There was an incident with a fortune cookie. There was one particular day I went out. My best friend was there. That has been a big part of this. And uh, my my wife was there, and we were sitting down talking about whether I was going to go ahead with it or not, like, you know. Do we think that it's, one, a good product? Do we think anybody's going to like it? You know, uh, all of this kind of stuff. Are we going to put it out there, put your name on it, and then kind of have that, okay, this is me, judge it phase. We were just kind of pros and cons in it. And at the end of the meal, which obviously was a Chinese food meal, which came with a fortune cookie, cracked it open and it said, like, your ideas have merit. Go forward and pursue them as something like that align those lines i pursue them i was like okay i guess that's oddly specific for exactly what we were talking about it wasn't like you know you open them up usually and it was just like you know sunshine brings good fortune or like it was just very specific your ideas you know had merit pursue them and it was like hmm. this fortune cookie had its finger right in your face it did it was, <laughs> it was like the, it was the mother-in-law of fortune cookies and it was out of all that, you talk about the chances of that being on a piece of paper in a fortune cookie. And then we were talking about it just there. And then I was the one that opened it out of all three of us. And it was like, I'm not what really the one for one for fate, but I am one for mathematical odds. And they were slim. And that took you to the point where you actually went gung ho, whole hog, got this thing created, and you've got a Kickstarter around the corner. The testing is in, the TTS mod is up there. We had the chance to play. I uh, talked about that in the first half, so I'm not going to go over the actual gameplay itself, but with the Kickstarter starting you know, the time this airs, tell us a little bit about what you're getting in the box, what the box costs, if you know at this point, the reward levels, there's a mini expansion as well. Tell us, what are we getting out of this? Well, the base game is going to be 250 cards. We're packing them in as much as they can physically fit in the box, plus a mini expansion. In the tray itself, which is my absolute favorite thing, we have a slot that will fit the mini expansion in the original box, which will be the deluxe version, of course. Oh, it's already um, in the insert. So, like, if I get the deluxe version, the insert's already got it ready for the mini expansion cards. 100%. And it's already going to be in there. No additional packaging, no nothing. It's just an I extra like deck, and it just drops right in. The slot's already in the base game. So, if it came after as a tuck box, 
you know, I can't say to throw it out, but I would. <laughs> I, I always <laughs> like to have it all stored in one place. The base game would be 250 cards, mm-hmm. and the mini expansion is going to be 40 cards. It's going to open up some different content, which will not overcomplicate the game, but it will add a little extra for the gamer that wants just a tiny bit more strategy and depth in their, their gameplay. That was like the goals that you could shoot for, plus those couple of uh, extra cards, the the extra nobles that you could have. They were off to the side of the table in our TTS playthrough, right? <laughs> yes, you have a very good memory there. Uh, oh. Yeah, so there's going to be uh, some stretch goals that will be universal for all pledge levels. I like to share with the group, so to speak. I don't want to be the one that shows up and only has one thing for myself, none to share. But the deluxe version will come with two nobles that won't be available in any other way. So those are, again, geared around the gamer that's a little bit more into the strategy and depth and also uh, a bit of cheeky play because two of those cards have very aggressive abilities, but they Mm -hmm. are very fun to uh, get to the table. Well, this is an interactive game. I think there's a subset of gamers that, you know, you say, take that or, you know, it's aggressive. They shy away from that. And quite frankly, especially in a one-on-one game, like you have the Magic the Gathering background, that's sort of the nature of the game. That's the interaction that we're looking for. And these cards, to your point, put them as as an add-on because the base game doesn't need, it doesn't need to be quite so aggressive. Put those off to the side for someone who wants to really dive deep and get mean with each other. I like it. Exactly. Get down and dirty for that. But the game itself definitely has to take that element, but we've softened it a little bit to be more about a race to seven trophies which are kind of like victory points so you do have Mm -hmm. to directly compete with your opponent in order to achieve those victory points so that's where the take that aspect comes in but we've wrapped that just a dull little little bit where like you say some people don't like that face-to-face you know I'm going to do this to you. It's more like I'm doing this to gain a lead, more of a maybe neck and neck race. But the nobility cards are kind of bringing back a little bit more into the take that to Mm -hmm. use those powerful abilities. Be like, nope, this is happening. That's kind of what I love about it, though. It's it's one of those put on your actual armor and come to play because that's what this game is about. And I really feel it's better to embrace it than to try to make it fit into other categories. So we have the base pledge. We have the deluxe pledge. There's a mini expansion. You started to mention the stretch goals. What are we looking at for stretch goals? So I'm a sucker for quality. When I back things myself or even pick up published games, I'm definitely looking for some physical quality to the game and those are really where i've centered all of our stretch goals around so would it be increases in say visual appeal such as maybe like a gold foil name or holographic card you know stuff like that card quality itself is my biggest one that i really want to see happen going from say white core to black core black core linen to really strengthen up those cards so that you can get them to the table again and again and not worry about whether or not they're going to have creases or tears like they really hold up of course some people sleeve them and i'm guilty of that myself but with a thicker guilty. card you yeah oh yeah for sure any magic player is is 
definitely a sleever. And you know what? It's um, funny. The higher quality the card, the more likely I am to sleeve it. I'm like, wow, this looks really fancy. I don't want it to get hurt. <laughs> like if it's a crummy card, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the only type of card because I've I've sleeved everything from the bridge size cards. I've sleeved like the square cards. I've sleeved cards that were basically like the the mini American one. Uh, I can't remember the exact size, but it's like super small. The only thing I haven't sleeved ever uh, would be the PVC card. Have you ever seen those? Like the ones that were in gloom, like the translucent plasticky ones. Yeah, yeah. I, I know they they have waterproof ones in some of the chip theory games. They're made of like a plastic. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't sleep those either. But I'm I've with you. I sleep everything. Heck, yeah. I'll sleep birthday cards, debit cards, <laughs> business cards. <laughs> I, I've never heard that. I love that. I'm going to sleeve the next birthday card I give mm, to someone. Try it. <laughs> Whoever's listening, uh, you're you're getting it if you're next. <laughs> I sleep my sleeves. Which That's actually right. I did in Magic. They have the perfect fits. You could put a perfect fit on a yes. card and put an opaque background. I would do that in Magic. And a little side story, not to take the floor from you. No, uh, where I go. Where I grew up, we had a shop owner. Uh, it was primarily Magic cards that we, like most hobby stores, Magic was the breadwinner. So that was the focus. And he would make decks for the store so that if somebody didn't have a deck, you could borrow one of the store decks. And it was type one. Right. So you could use anything, but we were all poor. So nobody had anything like everybody had a balance and a soul ring, like some of those cheaper restricted cards at the time. But no one was packing power nine coming to these tournaments. He would sleeve the cards and then he would take top loaders like the thick. Yeah. You see them on like baseball cards in, in people's cases in, in the in upper shops. So get, yes, exactly. He would take top loaders. So his stack of magic cards would be like six or seven inches high. And he got really good at shuffling. And we all did it. It became a Washington County thing. Like if you went to a tournament and there was somebody playing their deck in top loaders, you knew they played at this shop in, in Little Washington. I think it had since become like, oh, you can't do that because the top loaders uh, theoretically are too easy to mark. Like if you have two different brands, one slightly different colored it, it i think judges just said no 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 none of that but oh, uh, at the my. shop we all, we would top loader our sleeved cards uh for playing our old type one i had magic. to mute my mic i i started laughing real hard in the middle of that uh, <laughs> no we, we did too. i was just you, imagining you get, trying to, to shuffle that it going everywhere just like you need nah, a basket you, to pick it up well it's in the wrists right you gotta like like when you're snapping into a crab like you gotta get one one big stack in one hand and one in the other, and then you just lift your thumb so that they fall into each other. Go, da, 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 da. <laughs> it was ridiculous. You must do that with poker chips now, just in your oh. sleep. Nevertheless, we're on sleeving cards. You're saying that you know some folks are going to sleeve this, but one of the stretch goals that you're shooting for is a, a thicker card stock with a like black core. I understand is is a better core quality than the white core, for example. What else are we looking at? I love the idea of the gold lettering, by the way. Actually, I think the original spot I kind of remember that being is like Yu-Gi-Oh cards years ago. They used to have their rare cards and stuff had had the foil letter. But specifically for the nobility cards, kind of just goes with that gaudy gold theme of that medieval nobility style, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, so absolutely. So you just like throw that down. You got that shiny gold name there just really hurting your feelings yeah, you if wouldn't you're on put the it other on, side. You wouldn't put it on the military. You, you wouldn't put it on the actual unit cards. That, that's got to be on the nobility cards, no doubt. Oh, for sure. Same with like the, the holographic thing. I think that the full scene behind them really would, would bring that out. 
I contemplated doing like a more of like a full art, but I might do that just for the print and play so people can kind of choose. We had stretch goals of additional nobles. You did get to play with them already because I had them already play tested. So the original game had six. We play tested up to 10 and then there was two on the side to make it an even dozen, but those two were only for the deluxe version. I understand you have plans for a print-and-play and also a modified, slightly cheaper version of a print-and-play as well. That's correct. So I'm pretty in-depth into the hobby uh, across lots of fields. Uh, but one thing that I hear a lot is uh, you know, people are pushing for this full art print-and-play, and they make glorious art out of their versions some better than the published versions. So for those people, I just want to let them do their thing and just put me to shame by making absolutely amazing versions. Uh, <laughs> but I also want people to be able to, you know, have extremely low ink ones where it would just have basic information on the card, maybe one of my own original doodles to uh, <laughs> show what they are. I should probably send you an, an image of that. They're like super stick figure. Awesome. You but, know, if you do that, I'm going to share it all over uh, our social media. That's fine. I was I was mega proud of it at the time. It almost changes it to like a completely different category because it's so like comic looking. But anyway, <laughs> being able to do it in low ink lets mm-hmm. you one, you can try it, see if you like it without overloading your, your printer and ink because ink is obviously very expensive for that reason. And even for simplifying it, because sometimes art's super distracting especially I I went for a really realistic looking art. So, I mean, you might find yourself looking at that for a couple of minutes rather than playing the game. So a low art simplified print and play would kind of reduce that as well if you found it a bit too much. Before I ask you what is the target for the Kickstarter, we're on the art and the art is phenomenal. Who are the artists? How'd you go about tracking down this art. Adventurers, if you have a chance, get on BGG, get on this Kickstarter page, look at these pictures. It's some of the best art I've seen in a board game. I really appreciate that. So the art... Oh, wait a minute. You didn't draw them. You didn't paint these. I appreciate that you like it. (laughs) I definitely did not. I was very involved in it, but the main illustrator did all of the main characters for the nobility and all of the units. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is Noman Afsel. He's recognized there on Board Game Geek as well. You could look him up and he has, I think, four or five published projects. And the graphic designer did all of the rule book. He did some edits on the box, but the main design was still the illustrator. He did all of the card backs and basically everything else that you mightn't focus on, but it ties it all together. And that was uh, Pedro Zelba. Uh, he goes by Peter, but he'd certainly answer to either. Both are fantastic people, and I'll certainly do my best to push all kinds of credit their way. And I, I just really enjoyed working with them overall. Like there was no hitch. You know, sometimes it takes a little longer than you think, but once you get the end result, you're like, oh, that's why you took a little longer because you it's had to awesome. be blown away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had nothing but uh, nothing but a good experience there. So what is the target? What's the funding goal? How much do we need to see feuds and favors hit in order for this project to come to life? Right now, I haven't locked it in because, again, I, I got uh, at the time we were recording this, I got a 
about two weeks to lock it in, but I'm expecting to put it there for eight thousand. Okay, that's, that's okay. the goal. So it's a it's it's a medium light goal. It's nothing too over the top, and I think it's certainly attainable. Now, Brad, to help you hit that target, I understand we have some social goals for the Kickstarter. Tell me a little bit about that. So we're gonna put some social goals out in terms of followers on Kickstarter page. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be pre-campaign, but we also have done it on our Instagram and our Facebook. So we're really close to hitting the Kickstarter ones already. And the other ones would just be around uh, page likes or follows on Instagram. So Mm -hmm. if we hit each of those goals, we'll add in an incentive such as a giveaway or we'll revamp a card or we'll give you out a sheet of house rules that we have made things like that that can add replayability to your game basically what we're trying to do is get some people involved grow our project let you kind of organically grow with us and uh, we really hope we get some good participation there Well, Brad, I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell us where we can learn more. By the time this episode goes live, I think there's going to be like a day for adventurers to check it out before the Kickstarter is up and running. But have you listened to any of our other episodes where we've had designers on? I have listened to some episodes. I have not listened to all of them. But what was the uh, specific thing that we were looking for there? Oh, good. So you may or may not know that we're about to do the lightning round and give you a chance to level up. So I'm going to have to bring Josh back in the studio. Come on in, Josh. Oh, we're doing this thing, Patrick. I've got Brad sitting here with me, and I want to give him a chance to level up. What do you think? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, Brad, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you eight questions, and I want the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay? Okay. Okay, Brad. Three, two, one, go. What is your favorite board game? My favorite board game is the one that gets to the table Anytime. So I will say the last board game I had was Apples to Apples, and it's the first time that's been to my table in 10 years or more, but that's suddenly my favorite game based on what I said. Oh, clock is ticking. Fictional 80s movie character Flash Gordon played football for what team? That would be Back to the Future. Because <laughs> that went back in a flash. <laughs> in a competition, uh, given 10 minutes, how many slices of cheese do you think you could eat? Oh, God. Um, okay. <laughs> probably 25, and then I would have a cheese coma. What killed the radio star? Oh, God. Video for sure. How do you say level up in Canadian? Level up, eh? Meeples or miniatures? I'm going to go with large full-size version, please. Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat? Oh, Street Fighter all the way. If I'm watching a movie featuring characters named Chong Li and Frank Dukes fighting in the underground tournament known as the Kumite, what movie am I watching? Oh, Brad, (laughs) you've got some homework. And time. (laughs) Going back and forth from Street Fighter to the other one. Uh, that that's uh, Mortal Kombat. Uh, it's an '80s movie with Jean Claude Van Damme called Bloodsport. Oh god, not not my. You thing. ever seen Bloodsport? I have oh, not yeah. seen Bloodsport. It is worth the watch. Well, I told you we'd give you the opportunity uh, to tell us a little bit more about where we can learn more about the project. Obviously, we got the Kickstarter coming up, but if we want to follow you on social media, if we want to check out uh, a website, anything that you want to plug, now's the opportunity. 
The main thing that we'd like to say is even when it's launched, you can still play test at any time. We're available on Facebook, Discord, Instagram. You can reach out in any way you want. Uh, you can look us up easiest on Facebook and Instagram at Convivial Games NL. Reach out, get involved, share some comments, uh, some things you liked or don't like about the page, whatever you got. We are happy to hear from you and we're glad to Unless chat. you're that one guy that ripped him out of those 300 some play tests that said, oh, you should just stop that. That guy, don't get on there and say what you don't like. He's Thank more you. than welcome. We can do that. <laughs> You're too nice. You're too nice. <laughs> no, I, I've just learned it's uh, if you try to, to quiet someone, they only get louder. Well, I'm going to put those links in the show notes to the website, to the Instagram, etc. Brad, best of luck. I think you've got a winner here. I really enjoyed the play test. Uh, you know what the biggest tell, and I, I said it earlier with Josh, is that, you know what, I had played it already. And then afterwards, he messaged me saying, hey, have you, have you checked out Feuds and Favors yet? Have you played this one yet? This one's going to be a good one. Oh, I have already played it and it's a good one. So well done and, uh, and enjoy the ride. Thank you very much. And it was a pleasure being here. Hey, adventurers. This is the part when you listen to other shows where they ask you for your money. This is when they tell you they just couldn't make their content without the help of your wallet. At Level Up, we do this because we love gaming and we want to share our thoughts and we want to hear yours. So keep your money and use it to buy some games. We still love your support, though, and the best way to show it is to rate us with five stars in iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback we've had. The input from our listeners has been tremendous, and we can't thank you enough. Our one request is that if you're enjoying the show, the old games and level back episodes, the adventures on the horizons, interviews with designers of upcoming Kickstarters, reviews, solo adventures, giveaways, the Academy Lost Loot, and more, please take three minutes of your time and give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts. And now, back to the adventure. Josh, I tell you what, it's always cool to hear directly from the designer the process. I'm fascinated by how these games come to life. And I think Brad's going to do all right on Kickstarter. Thanks for joining me today. This, this is a good time. Oh, I, I really enjoy being on the side quest. I, I love, you know, as someone who still loves listening to the episodes, it's really great just to be on them and banter with you guys. Well, hey, it's always appreciated. And I'll tell you what, we ought to do this more often. One of these days, we'll get you on a full episode with Scott and I. I want to be on an episode. You had your Archmage on an episode. I was like, what about what about your little whatever what about I Mirabelle? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm not jealous at all. Not jealous at all. I'm just a lonely dungeoner. Whatever. <laughs> Looking for... <laughs> you know what? That That's enough. Let, we're going to wrap this up. <laughs> I'll see you next time, Josh. See you, Scott. Thanks for having me. You called me Scott. Did I call you Scott? Yep. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.